Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. In the previous program, I barely got started with regard to critique of commentary on President Trump's 2020 State of the Union Address. So in this program, I am going to continue with that and complete that and hopefully add a couple other matters. The president began by saying the state of our union is stronger than ever before. Our values are renewed and so on and so forth. Complete, utter falsehood. Our values are renewed, really? Take a look at the Democratic primaries, caucuses in Iowa, and primaries, the upcoming primary here in New Hampshire tomorrow night with Pete Buttigieg being a front-runner now. Oh, yes, our values are renewed, really. The Democrat Party has not stood for the American values for decades and decades and decades and decades. And frankly, you would have to go back a very long way. (laughs) Maybe not all the way back to Thomas Jefferson, but a very long way indeed. But the state of our union is stronger than ever before. Complete falsehood, complete hogwash, to put it a little more colloquially. The president lauded his vision, stating that we are building the world's most prosperous and inclusive society. Inclusive, including those who are bent on the destruction of this nation and who have been engaging in culture war in this nation for decade upon decade. And they have used the Democrat Party to great effect in that war. And all too often, the loyal opposition in the form of the Republican Party, has failed to oppose them. But he lauded his great economic success. And again, this this presidential go-round, this presidential election, will undoubtedly come down to a very significant degree to it's the economy, stupid, redux. But this time, favoring the incumbent Republican president instead of a leftist Democrat challenger, as it did with Bubba Bill Clinton. The president crowed about the increase in employment stating, notably, 
that last year women filled 72% of all new jobs added. Oh, that's healthy for society, right? Really. Almost three quarters of new hires or switching jobs, whatever the case was, went to women. When I say switching jobs, they could, of course, switch from a job they had to a new job. Supposedly, those wouldn't be included because that wouldn't be a net gain. But 72%, nearly three-quarters, went to women. What's wrong with that? You know, I mean, really, what's wrong with that? Let's look at the values of this president, forgetting for a moment, setting aside his personal corruption, immorality, adultery, you know, a lifestyle, forgetting that for a moment, setting that aside if not forgetting it. He trumpeted his initiative to promote good child care. But you see, that goes along with this matter of the majority of the new jobs going to women. So in other words, households, families, where both husband and wife need to be employed and the children need to be raised by surrogates in order for the families to make it economically. Oh, that is so good for society. We have seen the fruit of that for decade upon decade upon decade now. And the president is totally sold on that because he is blind and ignorant to a fault. But he spoke of his success as measured by the stock market. You know those fickle stock markets that are subject to wild swings, (laughs) which we have experienced just in this past week, up and down, depending on the various stocks. It's funny, just the other night I saw Facebook being advertised on television. Now, for me, that is a first. That says something about how wonderfully prosperous things are with Facebook. Incredible. I mean, just stunning that Facebook is having to resort to television advertisement. It's it's unimaginable, unthinkable, but they are. (laughs) But, oh, the United States stock markets, they have soared 70%, he crowed adding more than $12 trillion to our nation's wealth. Really? Well, between now and Election Day in November, there is nothing to say that the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ and the Chicago Options Exchanges and so forth may not collapse to 
record-breaking lows. There's nothing to say that that can't happen. And I think it is highly probable that it will happen, but not hoping it. I am definitely not hoping that will happen, but I certainly recognize that it could. But leave it to this president to just, oh my, take credit for this. You know, the massive increase in the stock markets that he speaks of as he pats himself on the back that he is responsible for. What if they collapse between now and Election Day? Will he take credit for that, too? Will he? Will he say, you know what? I mean, here, New York Stock Exchange has now experienced another depression. Okay, maybe it hasn't gone nationwide yet, but it has hit the stock markets. And we have investment bankers leaping out of windows and what have you. I take credit for it. I take the blame for it. It's my fault. No, I somehow I just find it hard to picture the president doing that or any president that we've had in our history doing that. It's just not the way they're wired. The people that seek office, let alone the presidency, are people of massive egos. Show me one where that doesn't apply. I don't know. Do you perhaps care to show me Tulsi Gabbard as an exception to that? She might be. She may be an exception to that. Ronald Reagan was an extreme exception to that. But the overwhelming majority of them, overwhelming majority, have been noteworthy for their massive egos, their narcissistic personalities, especially those who have sought the presidency such as the ones who are staying in the Democrat primary race, even though they are lagging way behind. I'm not talking about Joe Biden here. I'm talking about the Cory Bookers and so on and so forth, you know, the Yangs and Wangs and everybody else. All of these that are still campaigning, but that are well out of it. And I'm not saying that it's wrong for them to stick with it. Not saying that at all. As far as I'm concerned, it was wrong for Joe Biden to cash in his chips and fold his campaigns the last two times when he fared so poorly, abysmally in Iowa, in the Iowa caucuses. That was just incredibly foolish. The Iowa caucuses are something unto themselves. They are different from the primaries. And for Joe Biden to have just, call it what you will, I don't know, panicked or had a a crisis of confidence or whatever and just fold up his campaign because of bad performance, bad results in Iowa the last two times that he ran for president? 
ridiculous, idiotic, absolutely idiotic. Whatever you might think of Donald Trump, he is made of stouter stuff than that. And it really surprises me about Joe. Because when I have seen him in campaigning for this or for that or whatever, while he has been U.S. Senator for so long, he always comes across, he he makes a point of coming across, more often than not, as this champion of the blue-collar men, in particular, the blue-collar labor vote. You know, he's one of them. He represents them, and he's a bare-knuckle brawler. So to me, it's absolutely nothing short of shocking that he has collapsed his campaigns the last two times that he ran for president after dismal results in Iowa. At least this time he's not doing that. You know, he's in it for a, a bit longer. We'll see how things go. He is hoping to make it out of New Hampshire without being too badly embarrassed and then to succeed to bring in victories in Nevada and in South Carolina. Now, Nevada, as I say it, that is actually the pronunciation I have read that is used by those who are not from the state, whereas those from the state prefer Nevada. So Nevada, Nevada, tomato, tomato, (laughs) but whatever. With the heavy, heavy Mexican and Latina, Latino, Hispanic vote, Joe Biden is counting on doing very well in Nevada, Nevada, but, and is expected to, but, you know, (laughs) things could spiral out of control before that primary which is at least another week away. But then there's the matter of South Carolina, where the Democrat constituency, those who are registered to vote, that are expected to vote in the primary, they are composed of 60% African American or black vote. And he is expected to, to win that. But again, depending on how Badly things go in New Hampshire, it could certainly influence that. But back to the State of the Union. Pardon me for digressing. No, the president crowed that this extraordinary success with the stock markets transcends anything anyone believed was possible. You know, before he came to office, This is a record. It is something that every country in the world is looking up to. And then he has a sentence consisting of they admire. (laughs) It's kind of stunning. Consumer confidence has just reached amazing new highs. Well, when I began on the State of the Union in the previous program, I mentioned that I am forever seeing stories about various businesses that are really struggling, struggling to stay afloat. And they are throwing, (laughs) figuratively, they are throwing ballast, including merchandise, over the sides of the ship to keep from sinking. 
And so I see Macy's closing so many stores after it already had. And seeing stories about people in retail who are extremely concerned about jobs. But according to the president, things are just extraordinarily rosy, you know. Oh, and the people, the people with their 401ks and their pensions, they are just doing spectacularly, according to him. Yes. Hopefully so. I just don't believe it to you. And then he stated, one of the biggest promises I made to the American people was to replace the disastrous NAFTA trade deal. That monstrosity, the North American Free Trade Pact, just horrible. And he went on to say, unfair trade is perhaps the single biggest reason that I decided to run for president. Perhaps, but it has been opined that it really was for other reasons. Nonetheless, he stated, following NAFTA's adoption, our nation lost one in four manufacturing jobs. At least that. I would (laughs) suspect more than that. Six days ago, I replaced NAFTA and signed the brand-new U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement into law. Yes, that is a good thing. I mean, no matter how dismal this replacement agreement is, it has to be significantly less horrible than NAFTA. NAFTA has savaged industry in this nation. So, even though I am not optimistic, nonetheless, it has to be an improvement. It's like with Obamacare. The replacement has to be an improvement because of how horrible these things are and were. But, he went on to say, this is the first major trade deal in many years to earn the strong backing of America's labor unions. Of course, America's labor unions, it would seem, are strongly backing Joe Biden for president. Blue-collar Joe. He went on to say that days ago we signed the groundbreaking new agreement with China. That is communist China. The communist Chinese regime. We signed this groundbreaking new agreement with China that will defend our workers. Protect our intellectual property. Bring billions and billions of dollars into our treasury and open vast new markets for products made and grown right here in the USA. Really? Well, yes. As far as opening vast new markets, this sounds strangely familiar. 
deja vu again. <laughs> we, oh, where is Yogi when you need him? But it is deja vu all over again here. You know, opening vast new markets. This is what we had under President Richard Milhouse Nixon and Mao Zedong. This is what we had under the administrations that followed. And all of the wonderful, brilliant brain trust behind these things. Of our wonderful, intimate, most favored nation relations with the bloody red communist regime that murdered more of its people than any regime in the history of humankind, of mankind. Oh, but Donald Trump has forged this alliance with Xi Jinping, as he goes on to say here in a little bit about how close an alliance we now have with them. Yes, it's exciting. He says, For decades, China has taken advantage of the United States. Now we have changed that. We've changed all that. No more taking advantage of us. No, no. But at the same time, we have perhaps the best relationship we've ever had with China, that is, with communist China, including with President Xi, as in Xi Jinping. They respect what we've done. They respect me. The president would have us believe. Really. (laughs) How foolish can you be, Mr. President? Very is the answer. We have perhaps the best relationship ever, but we have accomplished that by being tough with them. And they respect us for it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And so he deludes himself. But, and imagines that communist China will no longer take advantage of us. No. Much less pose a military threat. Fascinating. But he goes on to say, as we restore American leadership throughout the world. Yes. And he speaks of the Caribbean or Caribbean Caribbean is supposedly the preferred pronunciation in the Caribbean and now is being used more than not in the dear enlightened UK. He said, that's why my administration reversed the failing policies of the previous administration on Cuba. Cuba. We are supporting the hopes of Cubans, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans, Cubans, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans to restore democracy. 
The United States is leading a 59-nation diplomatic coalition against the socialist dictator of Venezuela, Nicolas Maduro. Maduro is an illegitimate ruler, a tyrant who brutalizes his people. True. That is true. But Maduro's grip on tyranny will be smashed and broken. That remains to be seen. He is being backed, supported by Putin's Russian regime. Here this evening is a very brave man who carries with him the hopes, dreams, and aspirations of all Venezuelans. Joining us in the gallery is the true and legitimate president of Venezuela, Juan Guaido. Mr. President, please take this message back to your homeland. Well, when I think to do so, I pray for the safety of Juan Guaido and his family. He actually had to sneak out of his country under a travel ban to get out of Venezuela on January 19th. And he visited a host of Western nations and world leaders in those nations before coming here. And then he received his first audience. (laughs) No, not with the Pope, with the President, President Trump, the day after the State of the Union address. But I do recommend, pray for his safety. I fear for his safety and that of his family because of the communist regime of Venezuela. President Trump said the following, socialism destroys nations. Yes, that is absolutely true. It destroys nations by destroying people. And those in the Democrat Party, (laughs) not just the candidates, but the voters, the registered voters, that are blissfully ignorant of this will find out the reality of this if this nation becomes more exceedingly socialist than it is. But the president, again, using the words of his speechwriters, waxed eloquent and said, freedom unifies the soul. What? On earth, nonsense is that. (laughs) Freedom unifies the soul. So the soul is divided and fragmented and everything, but if we have freedom, it unifies it. Where did they come up with that poppycock? Before I continue, permit me to say, I am Brad Thomas, and this is after all is said and done, and whatever is right, and true, and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, is erring, is deficient, is due to me. That is on me. 
That is my fault. But moving along from the poetic license, (laughs) the soaring rhetoric of the president, He went on to speak of the military might of the United States of America. We have invested a record-breaking $2.2 trillion in the United States military. Sounds, you know, as unsinkable as the Titanic and the Lusitania, doesn't it? We have purchased the finest planes, missiles, rockets, ships, and every other form of military equipment, and it's all made right here in the USA. Huh. What was it I was reading not long at all ago about the United States Department of Interior grounding its entire fleet of drones because every last one of them was either made in communist China or had parts that were made in communist China. And it finally dawned on the powers that be that these could be used not only for spying on America but doing other devastating damage to this nation. But, (laughs) I have raised contributions from the other NATO members by more than $400 billion, and the number of allies meeting their minimum obligations has more than doubled. Raw, raw but they still are paying a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of what they should be. Just weeks ago, for the first time since President Harry Truman established the United States Air Force, more than 70 years earlier, we, he should have said me, I, We created a brand new branch of the United States Armed Forces. It's called the Space Force. Well, Mr. President, I don't mean to uh, rain on your parade here, but you did not actually create a brand new branch of the United States Armed Forces. No, that is what was proposed. It did not happen. Instead, we now have a sub-branch of the United States Air Force, a.k.a. the Space Force. It is a sub-branch. It is under the umbrella of the United States Air Force. It is not a brand new branch of the United States Armed Forces. You might think that, well, that's not significant. That's just a, you know, you're splitting hairs here. No, 
the president boasted of this, of it being comprising a brand new branch of the United States Armed Forces for the first time in more than 70 years, going all the way back to the buck stops here, Harry Truman. But it just happens to be a falsehood and a significant one. The actual amount of money that was going to be involved in creating a brand new branch of the United States Armed Forces was an absolutely extraordinary sum. Instead, what has been agreed to is a very, very diminished amount from what was sought by this president. The president went on to say, Members of Congress, we must never forget that the only victories that matter in Washington are victories that deliver for the American people. There actually is something to that, you know? There actually is something to that. Before I move along there, let me just segue over to something that took place there. No, not Nancy Pelosi dramatically or melodramatically ripping up the text of the State of the Union address to show her displeasure and to fire up the Democratic or Democrat base throughout the nation. But, no, there was a representative, a congressman, who walked out of the State of the Union address, Seth Moulton from Massachusetts. He led one of the first infantry battalions into Baghdad, Iran, during the 2003 Iraq War. He left the State of the Union, and he tweeted afterwards, and you know how I feel about tweeting, but he left the State of the Union and tweeted about it afterwards, saying, quote, I left the hashtag SOTU after Trump, a draft dodger who has mocked Sen. Dot John McCain, Gold Star families, and soldiers with traumatic brain injuries started talking about the good he has done for our military. End quote. Donald Trump, President Trump, did in fact avoid, skirt, evade the military draft, five times during the Vietnam War. Four of them pertained to his pursuit of higher education. 
the fifth was remarkable. (laughs) And it was purportedly because of bone spurs in his feet, which he never had any surgery to correct or anything else. And he has lived a hale and hearty life. And he also has been quoted as stating something to the effect that, of course, he didn't go to Vietnam. Do you think he's stupid? Well, he has said inexcusable, dare I say unforgivable things about some veterans, most notably Senator John McCain. And Trump stupendously, stupidly, foolishly, shamefully, disgracefully claimed that John McCain was not a war hero. He said, quote, he was a war hero because he was captured? I like people who weren't captured. End quote. John McCain refused early release from monstrous, hellish Viet Cong prisoner of war camp, having been tortured greatly having been injured severely when he crashed after his aircraft was hit, but then was tortured and deprived and suffered greatly. But he refused to take early release unless his fellow prisoners of war, were released. That is heroism. That is gallantry. That is valor. That is bravery. Something this president doesn't know anything about. Nor his heirs. But I saw an article the other day, a story, an account about a sheriff's deputy, I believe, that or a police officer. I believe it was in Georgia. When I come up with this story, I will get those facts verified. But he saved the life of a little baby. It was outside of a dollar store. This little baby boy, who I believe was six months of age, stopped breathing. And this officer had learned CPR and had learned infant CPR and used two-finger infant CPR to get the little guy breathing. And the headline was, that he was hailed, this officer was hailed as being a hero. Folks, language is so perverted now. (laughs) It's just astounding 
the, the things that are stated. That was not an act of heroism. There was no danger to the officer involved. I'm not casting aspersions at this officer. But instead of being hailed as a hero, he should have been commended for a job well done. He should have been commended for saving the life of a civilian in the line of duty or outside of the line of duty. Instead, hailed as a hero. Well, perhaps those who were involved in the writing of the story were swayed by the fact that he was a black American, an African American, as was the little boy. I don't know. I don't know if that had had anything to do with it. But to call him a hero pertaining to that particular instance is nonsense. I remember long ago, back when Ronald Reagan was president, back before all of the people who are invited to the State of the Union address for dramatic effect and who are stood up, raised up in front of the crowds and spotlights put on them and stories told about them, back before that was done, Ronald Reagan told an account of a teenage girl from West Virginia, which is now, amazingly, very solid Trump territory, even though it is so heavily Democrat. Just curious, but... Ronald Reagan recounted the story of this teenage girl who was home alone with her little brothers and sisters when her house caught fire. She got all of them out, making repeated trips into the house, and she was severely burned. She suffered severe burns. This teenage girl, she was asked about it afterwards, why she did what she did. And she said, and this is... Probably not an exact quote, but it's the way I remember it. And I used to carry the clipping in my wallet, but because I love them. She made repeated trips into this house that had become an inferno to rescue her little brothers and sisters. That is heroism. That is gallantry. That is valor. That is bravery. That is self-sacrifice. Applying two-finger CPR to an infant is not. It's shabby journalism. (laughs) disgracefully incompetent journalism. But this president I cannot imagine will ever 
do anything that could ever be construed as heroic. He went on to refer to the education system, the horrible mess, courtesy of the Democrat Party, of the public education indoctrination propagandization, seduction, subversion, corruption, perversion system in the United States of America. He did not refer to any of that. No, that's me. (laughs) For too long, countless American children have been trapped in failing government schools. To rescue these students... Rescue, I think, is a little dramatic. But to rescue these students, 18 states have created school choice in the form of opportunity scholarships. The programs are so popular that tens of thousands of students remain on a waiting list. Again, the verbiage, rescue, is just a wee bit over the top. If you're talking about schools that are terrorized by gangbangers, drug pushers, by vicious destroyers, okay, getting the kids out of those schools, getting the children out of those schools, getting them into better situations, yes, literally could save their lives. But here it's just, you know, a bit overdone. A bit overcooked. The president went on to say, now I call on Congress to give one million American children this opportunity. Pass the Education Freedom Scholarships and Opportunities Act because no parent should be forced to send their child to a failing government school. Every young person should have a safe and secure environment in which to learn and to grow. Well, you know, it was great theater by the president. But it's like a rhetorical question. It's still, there's still value in challenging the Democrat-controlled Congress with this. But there is not a chance of this happening. The Democrat Party The entrenched Democrat Party has fought education choice tooth and nail for decade upon decade upon decade. And no member of Trump's administration, including the president, has been subjected to the vitriol and the attacks that Mrs. DeVos has been. Courtesy of the likes of the Democrat majority in the House of Representatives and dear Nancy Pelosi, dear sainted Nancy Pelosi. The president spoke of an initiative which he attributed to the First Lady. 
the Be Best Initiative, which is intended to advance a safe, healthy, supportive, and drug-free life for the next generation. Online and in school and in our communities. Well, online, (laughs) I I would just think, you know, it's... uh, that doesn't have quite the same ring as in the schools and in our communities, but oh well. But the president spoke concerning Americans' health care as we work to improve Americans' Healthcare. There are those who want to take away your health care. Take away your doctor. No, they're not going to imprison the doctors and put them, throw them away in a slammer somewhere. Concentration camp, no. And abolish private insurance entirely, even though it does sound that way, at least to me. 132 lawmakers in this room have endorsed legislation to impose a socialist takeover of our health care system, wiping out the private health insurance plans of 180 million Americans, whom he referred to as very happy. I, I question whether they're very happy, but we will never let socialism destroy America. He should have said, but he said we will never let socialism destroy American health care. Well, socialism has destroyed America to a very significant degree. And it will continue to, regardless whether Bernie Sanders is the Democrat candidate, regardless whether the Democrat nominee becomes president. It will continue to destroy this nation. Then he went on to say again concerning these 130 legislators. Over 130-plus legislators in this chamber, here in the House of Representatives, the Congress, have endorsed legislation that would bankrupt our nation by providing free taxpayer-funded health care to millions of illegal aliens. He should have said tens of millions of illegal aliens forcing taxpayers to subsidize free care for anyone in the world who unlawfully crosses our borders. These proposals would raid the Medicare benefits of our seniors and that our seniors depend upon, while acting as a powerful lure for illegal immigration. Indeed, if forcing American taxpayers to provide unlimited free health care to illegal aliens sounds fair to you, then stand with the radical left. A good statement from this president, from his speechwriters. But if you believe that we should defend American patients and American seniors, then stand with me and pass legislation to prohibit free government health care for illegal aliens. Lots of luck passing that against the Democrat-controlled House. He mentioned that with regard to this, 
dire scenario which which is taking place. This is what is happening in California. Yes. And all of these great sanctuary states. This is what is happening in California and other states. Their systems are totally out of control. Bankrupt. Costing taxpayers vast and unaffordable amounts of money. Yes. Well, again, I have run out of time (laughs) concerning this State of the Union address. And I will begin again (laughs) tomorrow, hopefully. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.